All right, so welcome to Selling Engagement. Um, I am uh, your host, Peter Anderson. I am here, um, very excited to have our guest, Valerie Thomas, who is uh, from London, and she is a writer. Uh, she's a trainer. She's also a psychotherapist and author of two Rutledge publications, uh, one of those called uh, Using Mental Imagery to Enhance Creative and Work-Related Process Processes, and also Using Mental Imagery in Counseling and Psychotherapy. Uh, the reason why um, I got I just noticed some of her work is because I'm a big fan of uh, James Lindsay and all of you know that have been listening. We've been going over his book, uh, Cynical Theories, and she wrote on um, new discourses on her concern about uh, the critical uh, justice theory, social justice theory, and how that could be possibly damaging our, our clients. We're both therapists, and that's why I wanted to reach out to her, and I'm very excited to have her on. So. Um, should I call you Dr. Thomas or Val or Valerie? What should I, how should I address you? Oh, Peter, please. Call okay, me. Val. Okay. I always like to, <laughs> my mother was Southern, so she made sure I <laughs> was very polite. Um, so Val, can you, I don't know if you wanted to add a little bit about yourself and your practice and we're both therapists. Brad usually is a co-host. Um, he said, Peter, go ahead and take this on. He's a pastor. He was like, I'll let you, the two therapists talk. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything else. And if you wanted to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, I'd just like to thank you very much for inviting me um, for an interview on your on your podcast. Oh, thank you. are welcome. It's such a crucially important uh, topic for us therapists. And there is so little being um, expressed publicly about this issue that this opportunity is very, very welcome. Um, just a little bit more about myself. I've, um, I have a private practice. Um, I'm currently um, editing uh, a new book, which will, it's a book of critiques of critical social justice informed um, therapy. It'll be the first collection of, of, um, of chapters on this uh, subject, which should be coming out at the beginning of next year. And our consultant editor is Helen Pluckrose. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it, I mean, we we think that it's urgent. It's an urgent task is to um, um, develop these critiques in public now and present them to the general public and also to present them to therapists within the profession who um, are not getting any access to um, um, d debate or critique. Well, yeah, and, and and thank you for saying. You know, I'm I've been a therapist for about uh, 14 years now, and um, I can't tell you the uh, amount of friends I've lost. Not to get pity points here, but in the past year, um, really pushing back on some of these narratives, mainly because I consider myself occupationally a therapist first, and I had some real red flags on some of the anti-racism that was coming up, some of the. Um, what you write about, about intersectionality, kind of viewing our client without having a sense of curiosity. One of the very first things I'm often accused of is Peter, well, you're not listening. And my, I love reading your work because it's actually quite the opposite. It really hijacks our ability to listen as neutral um, persons. I was, I was influenced by Carl Rogers, kind of like person-centered um, Kind of approach that i come in kind of somewhat like a blank slate show a lot of curiosity toward my client not to make assumptions about my client but prior to hearing their narrative 
And um, what got you interested in writing about this this theory? And I, I'm wondering if, you know, I, I could already suspect there's probably going to be a lot of blowback because it seems like almost all the graduate programs are going pretty extreme in this direction. So what what would you say your concerns are and what got you interested in it? Well, um, I'll tell you a little bit about um, um, how I how how I got drawn into it. Um, it kind of started in about 2016, and I started to see um, uh, a kind of new kind of language of gender ideology coming into the field. Um, so I was starting to see unusual terms such as um, uh, cisgender, and People were puzzled by the this infiltration, but um, but there wasn't any pushback against it. So that was the first sort of kind of flag that came up. And obviously in the UK we we're we're, we're behind the states, so it, it, it's it's it it reaches us from the states. So we're a couple of years behind. And in about 2017 2018, I was following the work of um, Jordan Peterson, who was taking a stand obviously against um, um, compelled um, pronouns. And I also started to watch um, um, Benjamin Boyce's expose of what was happening at Evergreen. And this was kind of very, very alarming to see what was happening because there was a sense that whatever was developing within a place such as um, that, camp, that camp, campus in, in Washington, that wasn't going to stay inside the the universities. It was going to it was going to leak out in cult, into culture. I started to notice in the um, therapy training in institutions where I was uh, doing some sort of teaching that there was an uncritical embrace of uh, concepts such as white fragility. And alongside that, I noticed that there was a shift um, towards more and more trainings. For, particularly for the staff, which involved a focus on um, uh, sort of anti-racism. It's also like moving away from the prime concern of training in terms of professional training and development in terms of working with clients to investigating um, in sort of internalized racism. So a very particular kind of internalized racism. And I was also starting to notice, it was kind of really, really it was very subtle, but I was also noticing the effect on culture in terms of my clients. And I was starting to pick up with, um, with younger male clients, a sense that they were being affected by this narrative of uh, toxic masculinity. And they were presenting with, um, they, they, they were over deferential in their response to me as a, as a woman. I was really picking up on that and also very keen to um, uh, preface any statements about their, um, um, their relationships with women, um, their sort of sexual behavior with um, uh, these provisos. I'm not, um, um, you know, I'm not oppressive. I treat women really well. Um, I don't want you to think dot, 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 dot. And this was new. And I've got a sense that this, the culture is being um, more and more affected by this. So um, mm -hmm. after. Sorry, did you want to say something, Peter? I'm just. Uh, well, and that's, yeah, I just I mean, well, go ahead and finish because, yeah, well, I don't mind interjecting just like and, and as therapists, we're so sensitive to the idea of shame, 
with our clients. Like whenever we notice shame or guilt immediately, we have some serious concerns about that. So this, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Cute, yeah. Cultural. It's like it's a, something was happening in the culture and um, post um, the death of George Floyd, suddenly we saw all these announcements from the um, therapy institutions and our professional bodies um, uh, internationally. And obviously I was more familiar with the ones in the UK. Though this, this, these, I thought found them extraordinary declarations that intimated that the main focus of the um, institutions and professional bodies would now be um, the priority of um, uh, anti-racism. And so round about that point, I was looking around for um, critiques of critical social justice um, therapy, and I couldn't find any. And I came across, um, I was looking through um, James Lindsay's site, and obviously I'm a big fan of um, Lindsay and Pluck Rose's work, and I'd been following their grievance studies affair and thought that they, they, they'd made some extraordinarily powerful points with that. And I was looking, looking through the literature thinking there must be some people who are writing in the therapy world uh, about this. I couldn't find anything until I came across an article by um, uh, an American um, newly qualified therapist called Steve Driesman on uh, James Lindsay's site, New Discourses, in which he started to talk about the way in which critical social justice is, um, it, it, it is completely contradictory to the ethos of therapy. And it was at that point I realised that the person I was looking for in terms of writing about um, critical social justice was me. It's amazing how that happens. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, so I think the story, nice. the story of, the story of Esther. Yeah, there you go. It's like, well, who's going to deliver? <laughs> so I think you need to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I could, I could already kind of, since the movement, I've been so aware of the movement for going on quite a few years now, maybe really aware acutely going on about two years, I would say, um, I could already hear the pushback saying, well, is that because you are white Peter or white Val and anti-racism is making you um, uncomfortable because of, because of the internal racism in your heart? And I could already hear that. I could already see somebody listening to this or hear somebody listen to this saying, well, what, you know, they're just trying to get you to be less racist. And that's, you know, when we're confronted with this type of racism, you expect pushback. And I get that. I see that a lot, especially in the Christian circles. I'm, um, I was at one point, I got my MDiv and I was starting to be a pastor. But then I, after my MDiv, I decided to become a therapist. I got my MFT at, at you know, and, and I see that with a lot of churches who are what you would call um, very concerned about these issues as well from the religious side. They would preach this kind of message saying, well, it's because of this internalized, they wouldn't, you, you know, sin, Christians would say that, which is really interesting because Robin D'Angelo doesn't use the word sin, but she definitely uses very the, very similar concepts. And uh, Imbram Kendi almost uses, adapts some of this concept as well. But what would you say to that? Like, you know, because that your uncomfortableness is not because 
you're not concerned about racism. It's because mm -hmm. just purely from a scientific or a therapeutic stance, mm -hmm. what caused that, uh, you know, that part of you to say as a researcher, something ain't, something is not adding up. This is not consistent as just purely as a, as a, as a therapist, would you say? Well, I'm very um, tuned into um, the way in which um, um, theories and approaches, particularly um, approaches such as the um, psychodynamic theory, can be used to automatically pathologize any resistance. So I've got, I've got an antennae for that. So whenever I hear that um, move being made, it always brings up a question mark about what is being delivered. And alongside that, I'm very, very suspicious of anything that rings of authoritarianism. So any move to silence um, debate or disagreement, um, good faith arguments, is always an indication for me that there's something very suspect that's going on in terms of what's being delivered. So in a way, I'm not even looking at the actual contents of what is being said. I'm looking at the way in which it's been delivered. And one thing that's really, really become clear to me over the last year or so is that we need to move away from the contents of, um, of, of, of the argument and look much more at the uh, rhetorical strategies that are being used. This is a um, this is a political movement, and it's yeah. I never thought of it like that. That's yeah. really, yeah. That's if so. Too much. Sorry, Peter. I'm interrupting. If we get caught up too much with the contents of the, of of what's being delivered, we we we're we're on the back foot. I really like that approach. So not to focus, which actually seems a lot less overwhelming because you could be very, you could be submerged in the content. There's all this new content. And I really like that. So you're, so not so much the content, but the way it's being approached, the how that's being approached, yeah. um, the process. Yeah. And that's, what's so interesting to me because I'm a John Gottman follower. I'm a big Gottman. I love his work, but, oh, um, yeah. And I use it quite a bit for my couples. Um, but it's amazing that, so many therapists that I've really trusted, um, internal family systems, Dick Schwartz, and um, a lot of even the Gottman Institute, even on Dick Schwartz's site, I don't want to name everybody, but how they've kind of hijacked the ability to critique this particular subset that doesn't allow you to question that really goes against their own modality um, of both being careful with criticism as being a, a horse that often hijacks relationship in the Gottman approach and then with IFS kind of like this over protector that shuts down people and creates exiles and why even these modalities are are hesitant to kind of challenge challenge that and I know we're kind of getting off from some of my questions but I mean I wonder why that lack of curiosity and do you think it's fear do you think um I know you can't read the intentions of some of the why where, you know, so many therapists, so many schools are hesitant to even critique it from an objective point of view. Where, where do you what's your opinion on that? And I've had, this, I've had the same I've had the same questions as you. Um, I mean, I, I, I was astonished to see um, some of the prestigious union 
training institutions being hijacked by critical social justice theory. And it seems to me that um, a lot of the psychoanalytical schools and institutes have also um, uh, aligned themselves with, with this to the extent that we're seeing um, psychoanalysts um, making extraordinary pronouncements and not being um, chastised by their institutions. We had one very recently. This was a professor in um, an American university who um, came out and said he agreed with the notion that white people should kill themselves. This would be the end. This would be a way to end white supremacy. Um, there was another paper that was published by the American Psych, um, Psychoanalytical Association, the most prestigious um, organization in that um, school. And the uh, writer of the paper was uh, arguing that whiteness is a parasite on culture. So I, I found it very, very difficult to understand why these um, schools have gone for this. And I, I'm just, and I, I mean, the only, only thing that I, the only, I mean, there's a couple of reasons that, that, that come up for me. First reason is fear, Peter. That anybody who stands up against it um, gets uh, cancelled and um, ousted from the field. So that's one one issue. And I think the other issue is I don't I don't think they understand the implications. Of what well, and I would agree are. with you. And there's some justification for that fear. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a logical fear as a therapist. I mean, I would say. Yeah, that's that actually makes sense why they have that fear, because if um, I've seen it, especially in the trans movement, we've seen people that are even lesbian, you know, who critique a trans movement be accused of being homophobic, for example. Um, but I, I, I wanted to kind of, you know, really, when it comes to this this movement, I, I loved one of the things that you said that you state that um, this critical social justice theory operates by this quote you hear by entering a particular arena and starts to colonize it through its strategies of a relentless problematizing inserting new narratives and aggressively silencing any opposition usually through public bullying and shaming in the final stages csjt takes over the territory and poses its own agenda um that sounds like a parasite to me just beyond pure medical terms <laughs> um therefore it is important what's that yeah. Like yeah. And therefore, it is important to start to think about where this all might be heading for talking therapies. And uh, and you offer an example of this form on critical therapy anecdote. Um, and yeah, you give an example of just basic basically um, uh, we recognize the emotional impact of confronting um, virtue virulence and seduousness of anti-blackness and racism on people of color and white students who are looking to process their own racial identity development and practice of anti-racism. Um, and then you could basically making the assumption that there's an internal bias, internalized bias, white people are privileged and um, they have to ally themselves, um, which, I mean, can you talk about how this agenda can create this really just there? And when I read that, it's just immediately think everything that I was taught not to do as a therapist, because you're creating serious harm in the relationship. You're 
you're you're assuming a a grid on a particular person that you know nothing about so there's no curiosity um you're forcing the therapy session to be how you would like it to be not what's in best for the client which also is unethical and then also um basically anybody it, it, it in a sense rewards a type of shaming and bullying almost which is also totally unethical as well it goes against everything that we've been taught um get, i don't know if you wanted to add if you wanted to talk about how this agenda can create therapeutic harm in the relationship just between therapist and client and especially amongst just vulnerable people who may want to come to see you but they're immediately seen as white oppressors <laughs> I, I want to make a broader point i'll take the opportunity to make a much broader point and the point is this that um, therapy is being changed by critical social justice theories from a healing practice to a political practice. It's that fundamental. So critical theory, obviously, which is the component of critical social justice, is not um, is not interested in developing um, uh, understanding of, of a particular arena or subject or discipline. Its focus is on a changing society. And the way that it does that is that it recruits people to um, understand um, society along the lines of oppression and uh, oppressor. So very, very basically, what's happening to the ther therapy disciplines is they're being brought into line to this political agenda. So everything that we know about therapy, the process of therapy, the goals and aims of therapy, is being left as a sort of um, on, as a, as a, as a, on the surface. It's there superficially, but meanwhile, behind the scenes, the reality of therapy is being changed radically and completely. And this is the way, are you okay with me to talk in this much wider, wider, wider way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Your, yeah, please. Yeah. Right. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by this because every arena that um, critical theory goes into, we have exactly the same results. And you can see, I mean, it's ob be obvious to American audience from looking at what's happened to education, particularly in the States, and particularly with um, a specific um, critical theory of critical race theory. So what happened um, in the 1980s and um, 1990s is that critical um, uh, pedagogy gained a purchase on the uh, teacher education colleges in the states and the teach the trainee teachers were were taught how to raise critical consciousness in their um, in their students and their pupils and the main focus of education changed from education as we understand it to a process of indoctrination and the process of indoctrination is designed to um, create political activists 
and we can see this and there's obviously a big groundswell of opposition to this now in the states which you'll be more familiar with with than, than myself peter people being able to name it and being able to oppose it so what's happening to therapy is exactly the same process so the, it's not so much the contents of therapy it's the same strategies are being applied with the same outcome so the goal in um, for the political activists, the critical social justice activists in our field is to capture the education of new generations of therapists. That's the goal of the CSJT movement, basically, yeah. and the, yeah. Well, I have a friend um, who will, yeah, I have a friend um, who is going to a college, even up here, I mean, he lives in North Carolina, but um, he said he doesn't even, he, he he's not even taught any of the theories. Um, CBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, all he's mainly taught is just how to be an advocate and, and he's like why am i wasting so much money i mean that's the other thing too i mean they're actually creating the new therapists that are coming out so what's the damage of that so can you talk about i don't think the public knows they don't know. from a therapeutic perspective what that's going to create because i do believe in mental health 100 i do believe there are people that have severe suicidal ideation that have depression that have vulnerability that have internalized shame that have burdens that have parts of them that have really caused them to be um to isolate themselves in the family and do very self-destructive things like addiction and porn addiction and you name it and we're here to help them follow a path that will bring health to them and their families and their communities what is the ramifications of this just from a pure you know social um you know, uh, dialogue, if we could just talk about that, what's going to be the ramifications of it if this continues in the next five, six, yeah, seven years? It will weaken people and it's designed to weaken people. So instead of um, increasing uh, people's resilience, increasing people's um, insight into all of the factors that are implicated in their difficulties, gaining more insight, um, developing their personal agency, becoming more resourceful. Um, the, what these approaches do is that they increase the sense of victimization. They um, lessen people's um, uh, ability to understand or develop insight into their, um, their conditions and their situations and keeps people very, very stuck. And they're, they're also, I mean, at a more kind of fundamental level, they're, they're being betrayed because what they're doing, they're going along to um, therapists in, in, in vulnerable states, um, seeking help. And what's actually happening is they're being recruited for a political agenda. So they're being recruited to join um, an army of activists. I know that sort of might sound a bit extreme, and I'm 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 painting it in a, in a very broad brush way, but that 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 is the end result. Just as you see it with the with the schools and the education system in the states, you see how our children are being um, taught to be activists. Well, and I am seeing that as a I'm seeing that as a client. I can't tell you the number of men that have come to me that have gone to quite a few 
therapists and have been told that they're toxic. I had one client, he raised his voice in the session um, and it wasn't even that loud. It was he and his wife were arguing and her, her voice was actually quite loud. He raised his voice and she immediately laid into him and said, this is an example of your white oppression. This is an example of how your systemic abuse is now being manifested towards your wife and you need to back off. It wasn't like him. He, he was, he was just, he, he stopped trusting therapists for a while. And when I, when I came to see him, I, I did help him with flooding and everything else, but just to be labeled that way, where what we're, what I'm seeing is just more people actually not willing to go to therapy. And I, I, I liked, you know, one of the things that just on that point, one of your main concerns is just to, um, segue into that is that the sovereignty of the individual is hijacked yeah. curiosity toward the client and the passive exploration of the therapist to seeing people according to their group identity um, rather than their um, who they are in context of their relationship to others and it's just and I think you already that kind of leads you know I think you already answered that questions about the psychological ramifications of this practice I we would see we would slowly, it sounds like what we would slowly see with people is that in their vulnerable state, they would immediately feel empowered very briefly, but many of their issues likely wouldn't be alleviated. And it's almost like they're, I know Daniel Kahneman talks about the upper and the lower part of the brain. It's almost like the, the upper part of the brain will justify some of their very poor behaviors because the experts are telling what telling them what they're doing is actually okay and therapeutic for example seeing themselves as just a victim 20 years ago that would have been seen as a that's that's not where you would like to be now it's now it's kind of like almost yes, like a that yeah it's ago. almost like a yeah it's almost like a like a like a badge almost i have people that will almost pride themselves that they're a victim and i often have to tell them that that's not actually where you want to be um but doing so will also just divert them from this internal locus of control, you know, being responsible for themselves, which actually is so vital for any type of relationship, just to be responsible when I do something like uh, push away my partner or don't pick up their bid. According to this, everything is just systemic and there is no it's almost like they're also keeping them away from actual having these kind of intimate human relationships with people. Um, I don't know if you wanted to add to that. I mean, because it it's sounds... Anti, it's anti-relational. Mm. So the only only kind of relationship um, position that it uh, promotes is a kind of transactional relationship. So if you're, if you're a therapist and you work from this position, then the client who comes into the room, you're going to view them purely through the lens of oppression, uh, oppressor. And you are not going to be um, viewing them as a unique individual with whom that you're going to develop um, a, um, a, a mutual kind of um, relationship that can then um, facilitate therapeutic processes. It's purely trans transactional. And this is, this, is, this is disastrous for people in general this um this move away from relationship and the reason for this move away from relationship is that it's a collectivist ideology 
So the, the, the nature of that kind of um, ideology is a, uh, a focus on um, ourselves as sort of representatives of particular um, identity groups. So we don't we don't relate individually. We we relate almost as avatars of particular identities. It's um, it removes depth. It removes um, um, insight. It takes away people's um, ability to trust their own intuitive processes. It severs people from the wisdom of their body. It encourages people to locate themselves purely in, in the mind and a very kind of limited version of um, themselves within the mind. So if you were going to control a population, this would be the kind of things that you would be um, encouraging people to follow and take on board. It, I can't help but have a part of me that gets really afraid <laughs> when you say that and, 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 and I don't, yeah, yeah. And, and yet also a part that's ready to push back because I think we yeah. need to, because we, yeah, as therapists, if we're in it for the right reasons, we, um, we're very concerned because our client comes number one, we're concerned about our client. And this is, this is, and I think I'm, I'm wondering if that's really the approach that we have to take now that this is anti-client. This is anti, you know, it was everything that you had just said. I mean, it's so difficult to talk to some of these people too, because I, you know, and I've talked about on this podcast before how I was once part of a cult for about two years and everything that you said, I would use against you. There was no falsification. Right. And so falsification is just being, I couldn't ever think of a way just to tell my listeners, I know you know what that is, but I can never think of a way where my own view can be incorrect. Um, this movement has no, which actually is the essential core of a scientific method. You have to have falsification. And uh, this view is pure ideology. And I, I, I love how you state they would be encouraged to view themselves as victims without agency, whose only important attributes are the, their immutable characteristics. Um, it is a far cry from what would usually be expected of uh, generic counseling services, i.e. to prioritize the individual and provide a space for them to explore their difficulties and find ways to move forward, become more re resourceful, live, their, live more productive, fulfilling lives. Um, I really liked the example of a white versus a black student walking in the doors. For example, you give an example of that. What would, I don't know if you wanted to elaborate a little bit. I just love that example. Like if a black person is coming into your practice and your practice and your, you're a critical social justice theorist, what would you say to this person? And if you're a white student, what would you say to that person according to this practice? And why would that be harmful? <laughs> I gave an example in in one of the essays. Um, you know, imagine if, um, if it was, it was a, a very similar situation. Um, but uh, in the first case, it was a, a white student who reported having been assaulted by two um, black men. And in the second case, it was a, a black student who reported being assaulted by two um, white men. And in uh, traditional um, therapy approaches, 
the, the, the therapist would be um, working with both of those um, clients um, as, as individuals. And they wouldn't be imposing a particular interpretation, but would be wanting to um, help or facilitate the process of recovery from that um, traumatizing experience. But if you are informed by critical social justice and intersectionality, then you would immediately imp be imposing an interpretation upon the clients, which would result in a different treatment. So the, for the, the, the white student who'd been assaulted by um, two um, uh, uh, black men, then the move would be to um, minimize the, uh, the trauma experienced by um, the white student and to help the student um, uh, understand that he's implicated in a, a systemic um, uh, white supremacist um, culture and that at some level he's, he's kind of responsible for the way in which his assailants might be operating because of their own experience of oppression. With the um, second example, the black student who'd been assaulted by two white men, the approach would be different. So you would be um, uh, helping the uh, white, um, uh, black, the black student focus on the trauma and to um, facilitate his understanding of the trauma in, in such a way that he would be even more um, trapped within that trauma because the nature of the trauma was, in, was, was inevitable because of his position within um, um, this sort of oppression, oppressive matrix of society. So both um, approaches would be counter, counterproductive in my, absolutely counterproductive in my view. Yeah. And I mean, did you want to elaborate what in why they would be just for our audience who has no idea like what therapy is? Can you just yeah, I know why. I don't know if you want to say it would be counterproductive for the black student because. Uh, because um, because the, it would it would encourage um, um, them to be um, stay stuck in the trauma. There wouldn't be any way in which that um, that person would be facilitated in moving on and processing the trauma and being able to integrate it into their life experience and then kind of move on. They'd be encouraged to stay there and to yeah. use it to further uh, motivate um, uh, kind of political activism. Well, and I think that, yeah, and, you know, this is the other thing, too. Bessel van der Kolk is doing so much great work on trauma, but I don't know where they are now. <laughs> it's like, it's just, I mean, his book, The Body Keeps the Score, talks quite a bit about the need to get out of the trauma through all these remedies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, these, um, do you think, do you feel like this, that this, there's going to be such a cognitive dissonance that eventually people may push back? I mean, because it, um, it doesn't, seem to correspond well to a lot of these original practices that do want people to get out of the trauma that do want to see people as the individual and yet some of these <clears throat> practices that are holding on to now this new anti-racism 
And do you feel like there's going to be the cognitive dissonance is going to be just so loud, they're going to eventually have to make a choice. And you, you talk about yeah. that in one of your essays that we're going to have to basically get to a point where people are going to have to just choose a traditional program versus an anti-racist program. Um, and that, um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, but yes, that might I mean, be, it, yeah. I think we had a chance um, about a de um, decade ago, if the field had been strong enough, um, the field could have incorporated um, critical social justice as a modality within a pluris pluralistic field. And there would be room for it because it brings with it um, uh, problematizing our professions and the and the disciplines and and correctly because our disciplines are generated by a particular culture and the limitations of that culture are within within the practices so these are very important points to consider and would also bring with it um, um, uh, an emphasis on, on on understanding the collective dimension so that we could expand out our understanding of working with um, people therapeutically. So about 10 years ago, we had we had that that chance, I think, to incorporate it. But the field wasn't strong enough. There wasn't enough uh, people within the field who understood what was happening. And so we're in a situation now where it's um, that it's inevitable there's going to be some kind of fracturing and it's likely to unfold in a, in a much more kind of chaotic way. We're going to see a separation between critical and traditional approaches. So the critical approaches are all the critical social justice um, approaches, which are, are deeply, deeply embedded in the training schools now and all of our professional institutions and professional bodies. And the traditional approaches, and by traditional we mean um, they were committed to understanding what works in therapy. Um, we are going to separate off. Now, my sense is that there are a lot of people within the field, uh, a lot of therapists who are traditional therapists, but haven't had a, a um, haven't had a platform or there's been no safety for them. They've not been able to um, uh, discuss their concerns. But I think that we're starting to develop alternative structures in the field now. So one very important uh, alternative structure has been Brian um, Canfield's um, new professional association, the International Association for Counselling and Psychology. So we've now got um, a home for um, um, therapists who are apolitical. So that's a start. And we need to um, uh, push to develop which is something that obviously that, that, that we're, we're doing within Critical um, Therapy Antidote, um, making the debates and critiques public. So publishing the book that will be coming out at the beginning of the year is one, one step. But the more that we find ways in which we can build up a um, swell of informed public opinion and provide a home for um, dissident um, therapists, we're going to start to populate that sector which is um, traditional therapy so that's the sense of it at the moment yeah well no that's uh and i i think the more we have conversations like this and that we can kind yes. of build Absolutely. even a little bit of doubt you know in a good way and doubt is good uh questioning is good um it because it yeah and in any kind of form that's actually how i got out of my cult 
<laughs> it's because somebody uh, made me, cha they challenged my own uh, very rigid system with just a question and the whole thing fell apart, you know? And I, I think this, this movement on a good note, it is so fragile that yes. I think just with a little bit of just a few questions and I've seen that there's immediate, there's, there, there could be quite a turn, um, you know, because you, it's amazing how, how, how quickly betrayed you often feel. And I've seen this with people that are no longer in this movement. They will often will talk about how I was so cared for, so loved, but the minute I brought like an, like an, like an outside argument that didn't necessarily match their rigidity, they immediately cut me off. And that's when they started having those questions. And I think that's where we need to be as therapists to hold them and say, well, let us hold you while you're in that process because we don't hold on to the same guilt. We don't hold on to the same rigid systems and we're going to help you. We're going to help redeem this time for you. And we're going to, we're going to help heal you. And I, that's where I think I have my hope, you know, that's where I have some hope here. It's just, you know, I, I want to offer a listening voice to these people who are getting out or even questioning this movement because it's a movement of that's so based on shame. That's just so based on just, black and white and us versus them. And now that we're having a pandemic, that can't be helping either. Just the seeing people as a disease, what it's doing to us psychologically on top of this, you know, that that's just as, I wanted to wrap up though, if, cause I know I want to be mindful of your time as well. And, um, and I know you're, it's about to be dinner. I think it's dinner time where you're at or what do they call it? They don't call it dinner. What do they call it in English? Do you call it dinner? Oh, they do. Okay, my bad. I thought they called lunch dinner, and when I was in Scotland, I was maybe that's like, well, um, yeah, this, this maybe that. Yeah, well, but the Brits and the Scots are not the same. So, <laughs> so well, uh, no, English and the Scots. Yeah. The They're English and the Scots. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're British. <laughs> I would need at least a year of like education if I were to go live over there, so <laughs> I could. <laughs> but um, um, Finally, you state that to put it even more bluntly, you could say that counseling is being used to facilitate a process of psychological imprisonment. On these grounds, CSJT-centered counseling is disqualified as a therapy. It is a cultural practice that is informed by the hermeneutics of oppression thereby and thereby explicitly focused on power. It is a political enterprise. It does not possess a healing ethos. Can And I don't know if you, and you've already kind of elaborated on that, but in, in um, we've talked about the seriousness of the problem, but, um, just on an end note, I mean, what is your, how do you think this will be played out? And you, you said a little bit about how it could, it could be pretty, it could be pretty rough. You know, you, you might see some, some real division, but I didn't know if you, I, I, I didn't know if you wanted to say that, difficult, you know, very difficult to predict. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I oscillate, so, you know, sometimes, you know, on, on some days I feel really hopeful. I can see um, lots of glimmerings, um, more and more people um, speaking um, openly, um, being less afraid of being cancelled. Um, and well, I'll give you I'll give you an example of 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 of, of seeing kind of courageous people at work in 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 our field. So who 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 um, who who've got a lot to lose. So recently we 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 have. Um, a member of our of our network, who was a um, a trainee psychotherapist at a um, London training institute. I, I won't I won't use names, 
and um, I'll use his first name anyway, James, was very concerned about the way in which our um, legislation that was going through the UK Parliament um, might, uh, on conversion therapy, might be used to prevent therapists from um, um, helping their clients investigate or inquire into their desire to um, um, change their, to, to transition. And he uh, created a uh, petition and it received enough um, votes for the UK government to have to respond to it. And they've agreed to put a clause into the legislation that stops therapists being um, um, penalised for um, inquiring, you know, for following their, their, um, their professional duty, which is helping the client inquire into their condition. Because he did that, he received notice from his training institution that he was dismissed without notice three years through a master's programme on the grounds that he was bringing their training institution into, um, it, was, it, it was a problem with uh, reputation. Now, here we've got an example of what I'm seeing uh, more and more of is that people are now just standing up and um, refusing to kowtow to the extraordinary bullying and cancelling tactics that are happening within our institutions and professional bodies. So I feel very, I feel very encouraged by that. And I also feel encouraged by the way in which, you know, platforms like yours are giving voice to um, dissidents and, and I'm also feel encouraged by the number of people contacting our organisation, Critical um, Therapy Antidote, particularly students on training programmes who are saying, you know, thank goodness we found a platform where we can start to, and a group of people that we can start to talk about what's happening to us within our training programme. We're being muzzled. So there are, there, so there's potential there, I think, for this to grow and grow and grow and become more and more public. And that's what we need to work, work towards. The public needs to be made aware. I love that. And yeah. Well, and I'm hoping this podcast we're making them more aware, yes. and, and even yeah, and that's because I, I can't tell you enough. I've really learned a lot from just listening. I loved your perspective, and um, where can where can our people where can guests find you, and um, if they want to follow you or, yeah. I don't use social media, but they can contact me on um, um, on the website of Critical um, Therapy Antidote org and so I, I respond to all you know, email contacts there and I welcome people who'd like to join us um, we've, we're um, a very interesting and dynamic group in the in the network and we have lots of um, different forums for people to interact and develop particular um, projects and I think I like to kind of end by saying um, therapy is precious and it's informed by love. And 
we need to be very mindful of that. And anything that's not informed by love is not therapy. It's an easy way to understand the distinction. Uh, yeah, I just want to end on that. I'm tearing up, actually. Yeah, that's, that's just beautiful. Um, yeah, because I think that's I think that's where our heart is, and not that we have to prove uh, to people that hear us. Um, it's not because we're not listening; it's because we are, and we do care about our clients, and that's why we're pushing back. It's not we are concerned about um, injustice. We're concerned about racism, of course we are, but we're not concerned. We don't think it's going to be um, tackled this way. It's only it's going to get it's going to worse worsen. Uh, and anything that's yeah, love is love is the love is the healing antidote to these 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 processes. Um, so thank you. Um, well, uh, Val, thank you so much for coming on. I just yeah, I'm I'm so glad I found you. I, it's so nice to find other therapists um, who are pushing back, and I'll I'll send you an email of other ones that I have found too. There are actually some um, some oh, therapists in the states. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, she's a fellow, uh, Gottman therapist. I was on her radio show. She's in Baltimore. I'll, I'll give you, um, yeah. Dr. Stephanie, I think is her name. I don't, she, I know she doesn't mind if I tell her, tell everybody her name, Dr. Mm -hmm. Stephanie in Baltimore. And she's a therapist. She's a, she's a doctorate. She has a doctorate and she does a lot of couples counseling as well. And I was on her radio show and the same thing. She's very concerned. And there are quite a few people that are, um, that are that are pushing back um so thank you so we're much for just coming we're, on we're, we're coming together now Get, yeah which is great so not, stopped. yeah we just need a just a few more <laughs> so thank you yeah in. thank you so much peter for for this opportunity to talk about i thank you thank you so much all right appreciate take care work. bye bye thank you very much